Have you ever wanted something really bad? I mean, you really wanted it, you really hoped for it, and then you waited for it, and you waited for it, and you never got it, and eventually, you kind of almost give up on it. See, when I was a kid, I really, really wanted a big wheel. You know what a big wheel is? How many of you have had a big wheel? Let me see, a big wheel? Oh, even some applause for a big wheel, that's impressive. Big wheel, as it sounds, has a big wheel in the front. It's kind of like a glorified tricycle, and it has pedals on it, and then it has these wide lower tires in the back. And what's so cool about the big wheel, if you can really get it going fast, some of them even had like a little handbrake, and you could fishtail them. Anyone fishtail a big wheel? Oh, man, I am so jealous. I never got a big wheel. I never let my parents know that that's what I wanted. And birthdays and Christmases passed, and I, I never got one, and I, and I still haven't gotten one. It's not too late. It's not too late. Um, but eventually, I kind of gave up on that dream. And I've, right now, I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of past it. I don't think it'll ever happen again. And God's given me a new dream, now with four big wheels and a lot more horsepower involved with that. But see, we have these dreams sometimes. We have these hopes, and maybe more than a big wheel, but serious things in our life, things in our life when we're in, maybe in high school or in college or as adults, we, we dream about the future and we think about what God might want for our life, what God would do through our life. Maybe we dream about the kind of career that we would have or where we would invest our lives in. Maybe we think about the kind of family that we would have, the kind of marriage, and, and we hold out these hopes and dreams, where we might travel, where we might live, the things we might do, and our life is, is just pregnant with possibilities. And we we long for that, we go for that, but somehow time passes and some of those dreams, and maybe even a lot of those dreams, begin to fade. And they don't seem to be happening. You just can't seem to get there. You can't seem to embrace those dreams and those hopes. And maybe it's not just some grandiose dreams and some future that you hoped you would have. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now and, and you need restoration. You need redemption for some parts in your lives. You're in the middle of a marriage right now that is just not what you envisioned and hoped it would be, but you're not giving up. You're believing that that God can restore and God can renew and bring healing. Or maybe it's a relationship with a family member or a close friend that's just been strained and it's been severed, and you go, God, I just, I need that to come back into wholeness the way it once was and even better than it was before. Maybe you're stuck in a cycle, some kind of destructive cycle. Maybe it's vices, maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's something that you seem to try to get your life back on track and then something always seems to knock you back down. Always seems to bring you back into the cycle where you just can't ever seem to realize this rest and this hope and this this peace that you've been longing for. And so these dreams are out there, these hopes are out there, but you just can't seem to reach them. They're always just out of reach. You're always living in the shadow of those promises. Well, in this series called 31 Kings, we are looking at the book of Joshua, and we're following the story of Joshua, and this is exactly the situation that Joshua and the Israelites find themselves in. They have been living in the shadow of a promise for over 600 years. Imagine that, 600 years, a promise that's been out there. It wasn't even in anyone's lifetime. It was a generational dream and hope that was not able to be realized, and that dream was the promised land. It was this land flowing with milk and honey that that God promised Abraham and said, your descendants are going to inherit this land, this land flowing with milk and honey, where you will be able to live, where you will be able to be my people. But for 600 years, they have lived in that shadow of that promise. They spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And then finally, through the hand of, of God, through using Moses, Pharaoh lets them go and they They cross the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted, and they come up, and they come up onto the shores, on the banks of the Jordan River. 
And this Jordan River marked the boundary. Imagine the front of the stage here, this river. It marked the boundary of the promised land. This land that they had hoped for for 600 years. And they arrive and they come to the shores of that land with Moses. After all these years, they have the chance to receive this promise and this hope and to step into that. But because 10 of the 12 spies come back and saying it's not possible and the discouragement hits the people, God said, all right, this isn't your time. You must wander the desert for another 40 years until that entire generation died off except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses was not able to take them into that promised land. And so they had missed that opportunity. And maybe you feel like, man, in my life, there, I had the opportunity once and I blew it. And will it ever come again? Well, now in Joshua, they have the opportunity again. They're on the cusp of this promised land. They've been living in the shadow of this promise and this dream for a long time. And now they have the chance to do something about it. And this is where the book of Joshua begins. And what I love about this book of Joshua and this whole story, and I encourage you to read it, is that it just speaks to us in so many different times in our lives. If you're ever faced with a challenge, as you're thinking about the promises that God has for you, what it means to live life to the fullest, as Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Michael was talking about that last week as we began this series. This is this promise and this hope. And when we, you face these situations, Joshua is this book that encourages us to say, how do we face these challenges? Because on the other side of that Jordan isn't just the promised land. There are 31 kings that have occupied this land. And that the promises and the hopes and the dreams that we have in our lives aren't just there to just be poured out. Many times we have to fight for them. We have to push through them and we need God's help in them. And this book of Joshua reminds us of that battle and reminds us of that challenge. And it is an amazingly inspirational story for us as individuals, for me in different times in my life. And again, even for us as a church, when there's leadership change, when we're in a transition, we just marked finishing 20 years two Sundays ago. We had our former leaders. We had Don and Matt here. And these were great seasons of ministry that we've celebrated as a church. And here we are again on the, on the banks of the Jordan going, God, what is next for us as a church? And where do we go from here? Great story at a great time in the life of our church and for many of us individually. And so last week, Michael began in chapter 1 of Joshua and this, and this foundational piece that you're going to hear throughout this whole series as they face this challenge of crossing Jordan and going into the promised land, God speaks these words to Joshua and to the entire nation. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and be very courageous. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, it was this promise, this declaration right on the front end. I know you've got challenges and barriers ahead, but know this, you must be strong, you must be courageous. It's not a suggestion, it is a command. I'm telling you, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. And I'm with you every step of the way. Do you believe this? You have to know this before you set out to, to cross into a new journey to, to, to receive those dreams and those hopes that you have for your life. You have to believe this. And last week, Michael encouraged us. He said, start with a step. Take a step in that direction. One step that embraces this truth and that you would lean into that and say, okay, God, I'm going to take a step in that direction. And so today, we're going to continue the story. The, the Israelites have taken a step. They say, yes, God, we want to be strong. We want to be courageous. We know you're with us. We do not want to let this opportunity pass us by. And so they take a step. But today, as we look at chapters 2, 3, and 4, we're going to see that the challenges come, and they come very quickly. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that you give us. 
Thank you for this fullness of life that you promised through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we hold out hope for what our future holds for us as a church and for us as individuals. God, today as we come to the edge of this Jordan River, God, would you show us how you move and how we can depend on you to guide us through. In Jesus' name, amen. So, they come to the edge of the Jordan River. And so here the people are. They've just heard these encouraging, inspiring words from Joshua spoken through him from God, and, and they're fired up. And what I picture in my mind is kind of this Braveheart scene. You guys remember the movie Braveheart? Mel Gibson riding around on his horse, right? He's got, he's got the, the blue paint on his face, and, and he's riding back and forth on this kind of crazed stallion, and he's rallying the troops that are all there on the front lines. They're ready to face battle, and he goes back and forth. And what does he say? He says, they may take our lives but they will never take our freedom. Sorry about that in the microphone there. That feels good though. Freedom, right? I mean, he fires them up. He rallies them. They are ready to go and they're pumped up. But what happens after you're ready to go and excited? They look up and they're on the other side. What is it? The enemy, right? Spears pointed, swords drawn, horses. There comes the first test. The people of God have come to the edge of the Jordan River and they see the promised land on the other side, but what awaits them is a raging Jordan River. The scripture says it was overflowing its banks because it was during the harvest season. And so the, ra- the river was raging and right on the other side of the river, what greeted them but the first king, Jericho, the city with high walls, right, with, with warriors on top. So they're pumped up, they're ready to go, but instantly the obstacles come. And that Jordan River wasn't just kind of a peaceful flowing river. It was overflowing its banks. Have you guys seen the news footage this last week of some of the rivers and the flooding that's happening in Southern California and and in different places? And what they say is, right, don't even drive through moving water. How much they say, don't even drive through like a foot of moving water because what does it do? It picks up and moves the car. You can drown in that. Well, imagine not having a vehicle or a Humvee or having anything else like that, but the people of God, not just one or two people, but an entire nation is trying to figure out how to cross this river with all their belongings, nomadic people with their tents and their wagons and their livestock, their children, and all together, how do we get into this promised land through this river? There was no bridge that was built over it. There was no ferry that was crossing back and forth. How do they do that? So they're pumped up, and they're fired up, and they're ready to go. And here's the thing. Often the first challenge and obstacle is the one that knocks us off course. The very first challenge and obstacle is the one that knocks us off off course. We get so ready to do what maybe we feel God has put on our heart to do, and the very first challenge comes, and, 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 and and we don't pursue it. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to do it. This is the day I'm going to do it. And you step out and you get ready to do it. And you go, oh man, there's all these other prerequisite classes. And I got to file out for, for all these scholarships. I'm not sure if I'm going to get any financial aid. And, and the barrier seems too high. And eventually it's like, well, I'll put it off. Maybe another time. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to, I'm going to put God first in my finances. I'm going to get everything in order. I'm going to do this right. And you make this commitment. What happens the next morning? Your refrigerator breaks. Right? And it threatens to go... How do I do this? And it's the very first battle that can knock you out. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to get up early tomorrow morning. I mean, I'm going to do this. I I, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to set my alarm. And what happens? The alarm goes off, and that pillow is just a little extra comfortable today, and it's a little softer than normal. And I was up a little bit late last night, and, you know, I, I got a lot going on. It's that first battle that can often knock us off course. 
And what's interesting is the first battle isn't even that it's sometimes such a huge barrier. It's the battle that we fight in our soul. It's a battle that we fight in our spirit. You see, even the people of Israel, they were fighting a river. Granted, it was a huge challenge, but it wasn't the armies yet. And what I think that what this Jordan River represented for them was a spiritual battle. It was a hurdle that they had to overcome that stood between them and what God wanted to do. It was what was there that could knock them off, of course, that could sweep them under, the river pouring over. And even that analogy, sometimes we feel like that in life. I want to pursue this dream. I want to pursue what God has for me. I hope these things, and yet we can get bowled over by whatever it is. It's like a raging river. How does Joshua and how do the people of God get to the other side of this first test, the Jordan River? Well, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua doesn't uh, just step back and see this obstacle. He goes headfirst right into it. He's going to tackle it right on, and he says this. He says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia, He instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So he's going to look to see what's ahead of him. He's not going to go into it blind. He's not just going to go, I'm just going to huddle in the corner and pray. I want to know what awaits me on the other side. And he goes after it and he prepares himself for this. So he sends out the two spies and the verse continues. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Great. You send two spies to spy out the land and they end up at a prostitute's house and spend the night there. But it's not as it seems. Read on. We're going to hear about uh, you know, Rahab and the story of how she actually protects the spies. The uh, king's men find out he's there and she protects them and diverts the king's men and then she gives them an insight into what is happening behind the walls of Jericho. Listen to what she says as she talks to the men uh, beginning at verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made the dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, these two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No one, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What I find so interesting There's so much to learn about Rahab and the story, and you can hear more about that in in the women's Bible study, especially Rahab's story. But what I want to focus on here is we get kind of a snapshot, an insight to what's happening inside the walls of Jericho on the other side of the Jordan River. See, when we go through our challenges in life, all we see is what's in front of us. We don't know what's happening and what God might already be doing on the other side. Because, see, God is already at work preparing for that dream and that hope and that promise that he had given his people. They had already heard the stories. They were already in fear. There was already something that was going to weaken them that would allow God's people to then take this land. And when I think about our situations and the dreams that we have, sometimes all we see is the obstacles and we forget that God goes before us. That God is already working behind the scenes. That, that maybe you're looking for this job and you know there's a couple thousand applicants, but maybe your resume is already sitting on someone's desk ready to call you tomorrow. And you have no idea, but God is already moving. Maybe you've been dreaming about adoption and you don't know how it's ever going to happen, but God is already preparing a child somewhere else for you that you don't even know about. Maybe you you think about your your marriage and you're thinking about, man, we really need to get some counseling. We need to to work through this. I don't know how my, my spouse will receive that if I share that information, but maybe you have no idea that God's already stirring in their heart that when you say those words, they will receive that because God's already preparing them. 
And so what we see here as they face this first challenge, what, what Joshua gets a little bit of insight from the spies is that God's already at work. God's already starting to do something before they have ever even crossed over to that other side. So the spies come back and they tell Joshua, look, the Lord's going to give us this whole land. They're terrified of us. And then it says this. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. And I love these first uh, three, four words here. Early the next morning. See, Joshua is this, this guy that doesn't hesitate. When God has told him something, when it's time to go do something, he gets up early the next morning. He didn't sleep in that next day. He didn't hem and haw. Early that next morning, he began to give the people the, the instructions for what they needed to do. So early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite leaders went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. So now, think about this, right? They've come all this way, 40 years of wandering since the last time they were there. They're on the edge of the river, and here come the instructions now on how they will cross this raging river. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. I love this verse. Now, if you don't get lost in Levitical priests and Ark of the Covenant, go, what are they even talking about? What he's talking about is the Ark that they had, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was this gold box, gold on the outside, gold on the inside, and it contained the Ten Commandments, the tablets. And this was a very uh, sacred, sacred thing was the Ark. And it had two long poles so that it could be carried from place to place. Because remember, they set up a traveling worship center, their tabernacle, their tent. It would go as they moved, and every time they moved, they would set up this place of worship, and inside was this holy of holy, this place for the priests, and a place where Moses would go, and he would, would communicate with God. So it wasn't just a box holding Ten Commandments. It represented the very presence of God. It said where the glory of God would shine in that place, where he would speak to his prophet. And so it represented God's very presence among them, the living presence of God. And so the instruction that came from, from Joshua was, we will know to cross the Jordan, and how we're going to cross the Jordan is, you'll know this, when the priests pick up the ark, and they will go first. And when they lead the way, your job is this, to follow. Your job is to follow them to the edge of the bank of, of the river. And what I find so significant here is that Joshua understood that God leads, that God has to lead, and we have to follow. And so a question I have for you as you think about the dreams, the hopes, the, 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 what you want to accomplish in your life, what you believe God's putting in your heart, where is God in relation to that, and where are you in relation to God? Some of us are so far out ahead of God That'd be like Joshua saying, I don't need God. I've got my battle plan. I've got it all ready to go. We're going to build this bridge. We're going to get this lumber together. We're going to do all these plans. I don't need God. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm a commander of the Lord's army, for crying out loud. I know how to do this. Um, you priests, you go over there. You pray. You do your little spiritual thing. And we're going to do the thing that the, that the military does and that our engineers do. We're going to get across this river. Joshua could have said that. He was the military commander for years under Moses and now the leader of the people. And he understood this first battle is a spiritual battle. And he didn't want to get so far out in front of God to, to, to miss what God was going to do. And some of us do that. We don't have time to wait. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to see how God opens doors. And so we rush headlong into the roaring waters. And what happens? We get bowled over. We get bowled over and we miss the story that God wants to write. 
Now, some of us are the other way. We're so far behind, we've lost sight of God. There was a time that we walked with God. There was a time that we were to, where we felt in sync with God's spirit. But now it's like, I don't even really know where God is. I, I don't know if I can hear his voice. I don't know if I can tell what he wants me to do. And we're in a time of seeking. And that's not a bad time. As long as you're continuing to seek and going, God, I don't want to be out of sight. I don't want to just be abandoned. I want to be where you are. I want to follow you where you lead. And so the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of Christ, went before and the people began to follow. But before they crossed the river, there was an instruction, a further instruction that Joshua gave. And it was Joshua 3, verse 5. And he says this, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So we want the promise. We want God to do all these good things. But there's a part on our part that God is asking of us to purify ourselves, to prepare ourselves spiritually for what God wants to do. Like I said, I think this is a spiritual barrier at first to pursuing the dreams and hopes God has is, do you trust him? Is there anything that's keeping you from God? Check your dreams. Check the, the things that you have. Are they of God? Are you in the right place with God? Some of us, we ask God to bless our relationship, but maybe you're living with somebody that's not your spouse. You're sleeping together and you're going, God, bless this relationship, but you're not, according to God's will, following what he has for you. God, bless my finances and bless my, my success, and yet you've not put God first in the other areas of your giving and of your time, and he's going, How? It's, this is all about you. You've got to get your priorities right. I want you to pursue what you, the, the dreams that God has given you. And so to prepare ourselves, what do we need to do? We need to pray. And that's not a very exciting battle plan, right? I mean, some of us just want to go in there and prayer just seems like, man, I don't know if I'm doing anything. But pray. Prepare. Ask God to just cleanse you. Lean on Christ. We, we, this is not just something you have to do on your own. As followers of Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins to forgive us, to cleanse us, to give us a fresh beginning so that we can stand before God and go, God, here it is. And it comes through confession. Not because we're trying to dig up the past and we're trying to, to just woe is me and big, dig up all these things. Confession is a freeing thing that says, God, this is what's standing in my way between you and me, between me and others, between me and my dreams. God, I want you to take that. I ask for your forgiveness. It comes through worship through coming into a place where you put God in the first place in your life and not yourself. And every time we come into worship, that's what happens. We sing these songs because God is greater. We're not coming up here and saying, okay, you're next on stage. We're all gonna sing a worship song to you and then to you and then to you. No, we sing to God because he is on the throne. So they prepared themselves spiritually for what God was gonna do next. And then it says in Joshua 3, verse 10, today you will know that the living God is among you. I mean, isn't that what we want? We want to know that God is among us. God is moving. God is stirring. And so they were ready to go. And so now the priests come by. The people have prepared themselves. It's the day of the crossing of the Jordan. And here come the priests marching. And everybody wonders, what's going to happen? Maybe they're remembering what God did at the Red Sea. And they're going, how is he going to do it this time? There's no Moses. There's no staff. What's going to happen? Imagine being the lead priest, right? You're walking... <laughs> Carrying that ark, and you're like, all right, anytime now. <laughs> like, raging water is roaring here. I'm going for it. They touch the water. As they step into the water, it says the waters were held back upstream. And the waters began piling up, and the rest of the water began to flow away. And it said a dry path was marked out 
in front of them. I see this nice path right here parting between these two aisles. And this dry path opened up. And they began to walk on dry land. As they walked further in, the priest stopped in the middle of the river. Here's what, here's what it says in Joshua 3.17. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed them by. They waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Twice it talks about dry ground. There weren't highways and sidewalks and, 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 and these kinds of roads. So in the middle of this murky, wet riverbed, it became dry ground. God was marking out a path for his people through their biggest obstacle that was facing them, their first one, which was the Jordan River. And then it had, he had the priest stop in the middle of this. And so just the symbolism of this, the image of this is follow the priests right into your biggest obstacle. Follow God right into that, that, that place. And then in the middle of the, the most difficult circumstance, in the middle of that raging river, there's the ark, there's the men. It's as if God is holding back this raging river that's piling up behind them and the people are walking by, the entire nation walking by on dry ground as a reminder of who is holding back these waters, who is keeping you alive. And their faith and their trust was just growing and their faith and their trust was strengthened in God. And it says not until all the people walked through on dry ground did the priests then and the ark leave the waters. It's a powerful visual and it's a reminder for us that some of these battles that you're facing isn't because you don't have a better plan. It isn't because you haven't tried hard enough. It's that maybe we haven't trusted to follow God through this obstacle, through this river that's keeping us from, from what God wants us to experience in our lives. And what I think is so cool is that God wrote another story, a new story for a new generation. It wasn't just about living in the past of what God has done and remembering that was great for your grandparents and your parents for others, but God wants to do something in your life, in your generation, with you and with us in the church. As I read this entire story again in Joshua, just from, from front to end in one scope, what struck me is this isn't really even about individuals. This is about a people of God together following what God has for them. And I can't help but think of our church. I can't help and think of what is God calling us to do together as we each pursue what God has in our own lives, but what's he calling us to do together? And what stories does he want to write for a next generation? You see, in the middle of that river, as they crossed the other side, Joshua gave some instructions to 12 men. And he took one man from each of the tribes, and here's what it says in Joshua 4, verse 6. He told them, first to go get the stones from the middle of the river and bring them out. And then he said this, we will use these stones to build a memorial in the future. Your children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them. I think it's so cool that he sent these men into the middle of this Jordan River where you would normally never be able to get these boulders and they carry out these rocks that were just, you know, worn smooth from the, from the river and he brings them out and on the other side of the shore, he builds this altar, this memorial, and the whole reason is when your kids ask you what this means, then you will tell them. The Lord made a dry path through the Jordan River. He made a path before us. And it's a story that's told. And when I think about our history and I think about the history of this church, we're celebrating 20 years, and I look at this building, I think about the journey that, that God led Don on to plant this church, Don Doe, and I think he brought us into this place. And I look at these cinder blocks and these bricks on the side uh, of this auditorium. They're like a memorial to what God did, 
to the miracle that he did, that these walls were prayed up and that the sacrifices that were given and the miracles that happened so that this place could be is a great story for us to, to celebrate and to remember and to go, this is what we're going to tell our kids. And when Matt came here, through his leadership, through these years, the energy and the life and the fullness here and the growth that happened that really began to go, what's next for us? And began to make plans for the expansion and the future that's going to come. God used that time to grow and to build. And now it's a new season. Now it's a new opportunity for us to go, what stories are we going to write for this generation for us in the church and for our kids? And what's it going to mean when we have an amazing children's ministry area and opportunities for our students to meet and, and growth and opportunities here in this place so that we can do more for the kingdom here in this place and that we can multiply our impact beyond our walls? What stories is he going to write through the sacrifices that we've made to build that? Or to launch out Michael and Christy and Cody and Kristen and and others? It's kind of scary. What's it going to mean for us? What's it going to look like? But at the same time, believing God is going to make a path and we're going to tell some amazing stories because of what God is calling us to do. But we've got to put him first. We've got to follow his lead and purify ourselves, commit ourselves. Because I'm excited and I cannot wait for the stories that God is going to write through our church. And the stories that he wants to write, not just because of your grandparents or parents, but in your generation and stories you're going to tell your kids about God's faithfulness. We face a barrier between us and the promises that are before us, but oftentimes the spiritual battle is Jordan. God is just asking us to put him first and to follow his lead, and he's going to make a dry path. We're going to close. We're going to worship, and we want to take communion together. Because communion is a way for us as a body to say, we remember what Christ has done for us. We're going to ask you to come up and and we're going to take the elements. We're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup and I want you to bring them back to your seat so that we can take communion together. And as a way for us to say, God, we commit ourselves to you individually and together as a body for what you're going to do for us. And we just thank you for what you've already done on the cross, for the forgiveness of our sins and for the freedom that we have in you. So let's stand together as we worship. And if you want to come or light a candle as well or write a prayer on the cross, feel free to do that. This is our time to respond and allow God to move.